church as you're grabbing a seat this morning and say so glad you're here. Great job, man. Thank you. Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles. Or if you actually, you should all have one of the scripture journals. So you can grab one of those. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you uh, to bring these with you uh, to church every week. A small enough, you can slot them right into your Bible. Um, and essentially what this is, uh, we just, we really, really value and want to hold up the Word of God. So we want you to have it. We want you to not just have it, but we want you to interact with it. So we're going to be spending um, the next few months, really, up until the beginning of summer in the book of Ephesians. And so we want you guys to take notes about it as we're preaching on it. We want you, the Word of God to begin to impress things into your heart as you're studying throughout the week. We want you to have this to begin to scribble notes and jot down the things that the Lord and the Spirit is teaching you through His Word. And then in community groups, we're discussing the book of Ephesians. We want this and these uh, words that God has given us in His Word to fuel your time together in community. And so uh, we hope that's a helpful tool for y'all. And we're excited to, to do this with other books upcoming so that uh, you would just have a treasure of the things that God taught you through His Word kind of bound together, and you can always resource and reference back to. And so, uh, we're excited. Uh, this is going to be a fun journey through the through uh, Paul's letters to the Ephesians. And Paul wrote this book, um, he wrote this in about 61 AD. And this is a, a, a letter that he wrote to a church, uh, to a group of people centered under the name of Jesus that we just sang about. And he wrote it to, as he did many other church letters throughout his missionary journeys. Um, he actually wrote this, though, while he was in prison. So Paul finds himself in jail. We actually studied this as we were preaching through Acts. But he finds himself in prison. Death is impending in front of him. He is uh, in very poor condition. And he pens this letter to this church. Um, and one of the major themes in this book that Paul gives to us while he's in prison, writing this letter, is this idea of the heavenly places. Or the heavenlies. He has us look up and has us refocus our eyes, not just on what's right in front of us and what we're going through right now, but he's, he's encouraging us to look up to the heavenlies. Look up to the heavenly places. In fact, he uses this phrase, the heavenly places, or the heavenlies, six times in this six-chapter book. And so he's, he's doing this to show us something very important. He's doing this to show us our salvation as believers, to show us how precious it is from the vantage point of the heavenly places. Paul, when he writes this letter, especially at the very beginning, wants to give us this 10,000-foot view. He wants us to give us this mountaintop view of what God has done for us and what he's secured for us. He wants to give us a panoramic mountaintop view of our salvation and our redemption. So it's this wonderful book that helps us get out of maybe even some of the everyday that we get bogged down with so easily and reminds us to look up. It reminds us of what he's done for us in the heavenly places. And so as a result of kind of this, this letter that he writes and the style in which he writes it, the book of Ephesians isn't really, as we go through it, it's, it's unlike a lot of the other letters that Paul writes to churches. He's not dealing with like little nitty-gritty problems. He's not dealing with major church issues that he's having to call out and address. He's focusing on these theological, these 
big ideas of God and what they mean for us as the church and how those big ideas, how those heavenly view of our redemption informs our everyday. So he doesn't start with the everyday. He starts with the bigness and the glory and the majesty of God. And so when we're looking through that lens as a believer, through how God has saved us, through how God has redeemed us, how God sent his son to die on a cross for us, how God has made us his children in order that we might know him and enjoy him forever and ever and ever. When you look at life as a believer from that kind of eternal heavenly perspective, our everyday problems and our everyday things that we're going through, the sting of them becomes a little less. Uh, They dim a little bit. And they dim even more over time as you maintain and cling to the eternal perspective that Paul is telling us to cling to. When you live life and you look at life as a believer from that kind of eternal, heavenly perspective, the grand view of God, how near he is to us, our everyday problems seem to dim. And that's really, really good news. So that's where Paul starts. I was reflecting back uh, this this year, 2019, marks for me 15 years in full-time ministry. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, four of those years have been involved in planting this church. It's been an incredible blessing in my life. That's never a dull moment, I often say. Uh, but every now and again, it's good to sort of unplug and get some time away. And so my family and I, we did that. I took a couple of the last two Sundays off. Josh did a great job preaching. And then we had Jeff Mangum from the Stone came in last week, which I heard great things about. But we spent five nights in the Smoky Mountains, which was this amazing, refreshing trip. Something about looking at a mountain just fills my heart and soul, right? But uh, although the uh, four days of driving, I don't know if that really filled my heart and soul with four kids, from 10 to 2. But overall, they did awesome. We, we, had a, we had an awesome trip, so thank you all for allowing me the time to get away and just spend time with the family and really disconnect and unplug. It was an awesome, awesome trip. In fact, four years ago, Ash and I went to the same place uh, in the Smoky Mountains. We stayed in the same uh, kind of cluster of cabins that we stayed in. We loved it so much. Um, it was interesting going during the government shutdown. A lot of the park, we thought the whole thing was going to be shut down. We thought we were just going to be sitting, staring at each other in a cabin. But luckily, they had opened up, they got a big grant, and they opened up a lot of the park, so we were able to do quite a bit with the kids. The kids got to play in the snow. But when Ash and I stayed there four years ago, we were, like, determined to, like, do all these awesome hikes. And so we did that. We did that with the kids this trip. But four years ago, I remember one particular hike. My wife, Ashley, she's... She had just got done training for a marathon. She was super fit, and she was, like, ready to conquer all, like, the, the major, major hikes, right? And so I remember one that she picked out. She's like, oh, this one looks awesome. It's supposed to have the best views. It's one of the highest peaks that you can hike in the Smoky Mountains, and it's called Chimney Tops. And she's like, we're doing it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so in. I'm so in shape, too. I got this. And uh, I remember uh, reading some stats on it, and just to refresh my memories, Chimney Top Hike in the Smoky Mountains was a 2,000-foot elevation gain. We didn't bring our kids four years ago, we brought, so we didn't do the hike this time. But four years ago, a 2,000-foot elevation gain, five-mile hike, basically straight up a mountain. It's like a Stairmaster, but you're up a mountain. Like it was just constantly up, up, and then switch back, switch back, switch back, up, 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 up. It's just straight up. But it's supposed to be these amazing views, right? 
And so I remember we make it to the trailhead to this hike of the Smokies. And we're about 20 minutes in, and I have asthma. I like to use that as a crutch, right? Um, I had asthma when I was seven, and it's, it's still there, right? I like to bring that up when I get winded. We're 20 minutes in, and I'm like, oh, babe, are you, golly, it's kind of hard to breathe up here. This is intense. Are you feeling it? She's like, no, I feel fine. Why? I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine too. And we just kind of keep going. I'm powering through, and I'm just sweating buckets, and she's like, fine, and right? It's like, She's just leaping up like a gazelle, and I'm like Andre the Giant. Like, and I'm, lugging, I'm lugging the pack. I've got the water. I've got the snacks. I've got the, I've got the jackets in case it's cold up there. I've got all the gear and the maps and the compass, right? You've got to have all the gear. And so we're just, I'm, I'm trudging up that hill. She kind of just bounds up, and, and I'm, I'm huffing and puffing. And all of a sudden, we, get, we go a few more miles up there, and I'm just struggling. And I'm, like, trying to make it look like, and she keeps looking back, and my shirt is getting wetter and wetter and wetter. And she's like, are you okay? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And I was like, you mind if I sit down and take a water break for a second? And right, so I find a flat rock on this vertical face that we've been climbing up for what seems like 10 hours. And I sit down, and I just break out in that cold sweat, right? And I hit the wall. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to get life lighted off this mountain. Like, <laughs> Ashley seems to have no trouble whatsoever, and I just feel so, I feel like an idiot. She's like, what are you, come on, let's go. Are you, you're slowing us down, you're hurting our time. She has like her GPS watch. I'm like, I'm not worried about the time here. I'm worried about living and not dying from an asthma attack, right? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and she says like literally the worst thing a wife could ever say to a husband uh, going up a mountain, and uh, she's, she kind of like bounds down. She's like, hey, do you need me to take the pack for you? <laughs> no, I don't need you to take the pack for me. I'm going to be just fine, thank you. Snap my pack. I just need to cinch it down some more to p- distribute the weight on the hips so it's off my back. It hurts my asthma and my lungs, and so I s- keep marching up, right? I'm fine with the pack. And fi- like I had the moment, I just, I, I had the moment, I was like, we're, we're like, we still have a mile to go, and my legs are shaking, I'm like trembling, and it's, it's, it's this awful hike, I hated every second of it, and I'm finally I was like, can you please take the pack? I just, just had to hand over the pride, I just, you know, I just, I had to get there, and so she took the pack and just sprinted up the mountain, and I made it up, <laughs> eventually, eventually made it up this awful hike that's straight up a mountain for what seemed like 28 miles, right? And I remember thinking back, and I kind of tell the story, and, um, or here, I got a picture. Here's the view when you get up there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's just breathtaking. I didn't take it. I left the guy's picture. His <laughs> so whoever, Jeff Pierce, thank you, 2016, great photo. He had a really great camera. I went back and looked at my pictures they didn't look quite as awe-inspiring as I remembered it in my mind. That's how I remembered it in my mind, right? That's how it looked. It was beautiful. Only we went in the fall, so it was like orange and yellow. It was this breathtaking view. We were up there, and we had trail snacks, and I got out the compass, right? And once I got up there, it was fine. But on the way up, it was just awful, right? And I just, it was, it was total, like, just misery. It was hard. It was, my legs were burnt. Like, every, nothing seemed to be going right, Right? On top of it, my wife found it to be a really easy, moderate hike. Right? 
And so, but the, here's the thing is we made it to the top. And Ashley always is like, why do you make such a big deal of it? We made it to the top and we got, we got to see that. That's the point. And she's exactly right. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing when he starts Ephesians. A lot of us, we get so focused down on this right here. I can't take another step up. This is miserable. This is hard. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to take another step. And we need sometimes someone in our life to say, hey, it was worth it. Look, look at that. We got the mountaintop view. And that's what Paul's giving us here in Ephesians at the very beginning. He's saying, church, remember. Remember all that's been done for you. Even when you find yourselves in the midst of trial, if you find yourself in the midst of how's this going to work? You may be finding yourself right now going through something. You're like, I just, and I don't know how it's going to work out for me. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what the other side looks like. Church, the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to you and I, as he writes this to us today, is if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, God gives you a glorious reality, and you're wrapped up in it right now. He gives you ultimate joy and peace and a mountaintop view forever and ever and ever and ever in Christ. Amen. Right? And it may not seem like it now. It may not seem like it's going to happen. But God promises us that it will. Because it's not up to our own human legs to get us there. It's not like we've got to hike it. Jesus did it for us. He did all the work for us that we would have all the joy and all the glory. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. And Paul, as he begins this letter, says, look up. Look at the glorious realities that you found yourself, that you're wrapped up in. Living in the day-to-day as a believer in Christ, um, it's, it can be hard. It really can be. It can be painful. Jesus said it would be sometimes. He doesn't promise a life of ease. And sometimes it feels like you just don't know how you're going to put one leg in front of another. I don't know if you've ever been there. But God wants us to know through the book of Ephesians that if we're going to make it through those hard times, if we're going to make it through when those moments are like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, I don't know how I'm going to get there, if we're going to make it through those hard days and maybe months and even years, we have to have a heavenly, eternal perspective in our lives. And that's something that we uh, just don't often think about. Paul is encouraging you and I this morning to say, yeah, what you're going through right now, it may be difficult, but the Lord Jesus is with you every step of the way and have an eternal heavenly perspective. That's how you walk through it. What God wants us to know is that there is a day coming. There is a day coming when we will even remember our most terrible days, our most trying days, And the memory of those will have almost dimmed where we can look back and we can even see where we could have even found joy in them. That's what Christ promises us. Because we're with him. Because he's with us. That's what God wants us to know is that there's coming a day when we will remember even our most terrible days and it will have no more sting because of Christ. That's good news. That's why, I, like in that silly story I share, we can, I can tell it and we can laugh about it. It was awful, right? It was hard. I hated the hike. But now I look back, I'm like, that was a great hike. 
I love that hike. I want to go on that. I want to take my kids on that hike so they can experience the same miserable pain that I experience, right? So that they one, one day later can look back and be like, that was a great hike. The Lord does that in our lives in many different ways. So he wants us to know how can we have that heavenly perspective. And Ephesians chapter 1, in these first couple of verses, we're only going to get through three verses today, uh, begins to teach us that. Ephesians 1, let's read verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we've got the very beginning, this very familiar greeting from the Apostle Paul that he gives in nearly all of his epistles. And then what we're going to see next in verses 3 through 13, we're not going to get to them all today, but essentially it's a giant run-on sentence. It is this beautiful collection of words that Paul puts together. And in the original language, there is no... uh, period, there's no exclamation point, there's no comma, there's no grammatical punctuation to separate the thoughts. Paul just begins like word vomiting out all of these massive ideas about how huge and wonderful and marvelous God is and how we're wrapped up in him. It's One commentator describes it like this. I love the way he put it. It's like you're standing at the bottom of a grain silo, one of those giant grain silos you would see, and someone pulled the plug, and the grain just rushes out and envelops you. It's meant to feel that way. It's almost overwhelming when you're reading it, because it just doesn't stop, and the words just keep coming. So we're going to spend some time in the next few weeks unpacking these huge ideas that Paul gives to us to give us this heavenly, eternal perspective, and all of these ideas wash over us so that it would produce something in us so that it would produce worship in us, so that we could see the mountaintop and know that God is worthy and that God is most glorious. It's to produce in us worship. And so this one long run-on sentence, we're going to focus just on verse 3 this morning in our introduction to the series, and we'll get into some really meaty ones starting next week. If you want to look ahead at verse 4, it's a pretty awesome thought. But don't go there yet. We got verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul's giving us this heavenly perspective that will help us through our everyday life. It will help us through the ups and downs. It will help us through the pains and sorrows and our everyday failures and our everyday victories. He's giving us this amazing perspective. So what does he tell us? He tells us that we have been blessed. Blessed with what? Not just this generic, like we've kind of made, made a joke of it in the South, right? But what are we blessed with? Not just, oh, I'm so blessed because I, whatever collection of things that we think equals blessed. What is Paul meaning? What are we blessed with? He tells us, with every spiritual blessing. That is a huge thought. God has blessed us God, in Christ. God has blessed you right now in the present with every spiritual blessing. Every. That's quite a word. Every. That means there is not a single blessing that you are missing. 
It means of all the spiritual blessings available and possible. Sorry about that. I don't think it likes my beard. You and I have all of them. We have every single one of them. So this means for us this morning, church, something profound. It means God is not holding back on you. He's not withholding from you. In Christ, he pours out everything. What is a spiritual blessing? Spiritual blessings are all that we need from God in order to be saved. Spiritual blessings are all that we need from God in order to be saved, in order to be his child. Spiritual blessing is everything Jesus accomplished for us. He purchased for us through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead. Everything that we need in order to be saved, Jesus bought it for us. He paid for it. He purchased for it. And he accomplished it. And he gives it to us freely. It also says something amazing. He says that we have it right now. All of these blessings, every spiritual blessing, all of them, we have them right now. Notice it says, He, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Has blessed us. Past tense, already done. It does not say that God intends to bless you someday with all the spiritual blessings. It doesn't say if you really measure up and if you achieve all the right things, if you do all the right things, if you act a certain way and say the right things, God will bless you with every spiritual blessing under heaven in Christ. It doesn't say he will give them to you one day. It doesn't say if you are spiritual enough, you will then get every single blessing. It doesn't say uh, this group of people gets these spiritual blessings and this person over here because he's really good gets this. No, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right now. Right now. That's incredible. That is a mind-blowing claim. And some of you maybe are in here thinking, well, every spiritual blessing? There's not a single one that I lack? Well, I don't feel that way. I don't feel blessed like that right now, right? I think a lot of us, uh, we tend to have maybe the wrong idea of what a blessing from God is. Because um, a lot of us, maybe we don't feel that way. Maybe because we're sick. Maybe because there's still just mounting bills that we don't know how we're going to overcome. And we don't know what the future is going to hold. Maybe I just lost my job. Maybe I just lost my best friend. Maybe I just lost a family member. Maybe I felt cheated on. Maybe I'm lonely. Maybe I just lost the baby. I don't feel blessed. So why don't we feel that? I think it's because we get this idea in our head and we, it's, it's rooted deep within us that God's blessings should be physical ones. And we mainly have the idea that blessings should be physical. God, some of God's blessings are, yes, absolutely. And that's not evil or wrong. But church, let me remind you something that the Apostle Paul just said, that God has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And where is he writing this? In prison. Paul's in prison writing this. Death is looming for for the Apostle Paul. He's being mistreated. He is being beaten. He's being mocked. He's been cast down. And he pens these words. He says, church, God has blessed you in Christ with everything, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given them all to you. Church, we've been blessed. Paul, I think, has a radically different understanding of blessing than you and I often do today. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, he reminds us. For the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're, they, they pass us by, Right? But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's always wanting us to get back to the eternal realities of how he's blessed us and where he's placed us. So church, if we're going to have this eternal perspective, this heavenly perspective, this, this view from up top of what God has done from us, we have to know the difference between the physical and the spiritual. And we have to treasure the eternal over the temporal. And that's really hard for me to do. And that's hard for a lot of us to do, I believe. Physical blessings are not evil. No, they're not. But what Paul is trying to remind us of, church, uh, is that spiritual blessings are better. And that's hard for us to get. That spiritual blessings are better. Now, why? Why are spiritual blessings better than physical ones? Why are spiritual blessings better than physical ones? Well, spiritual blessings, first of all, produce a worship in us that physical blessings simply cannot. And that's something that fills Paul's heart and soul. It fills him up. It gets him past those hard days that something physical just couldn't. Here, Paul is worshiping. Paul is in prison and he pens this letter that is filled with worship even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. He says in verse 3, Blessed be God the Father. That is worship. Blessed be you, God. Even though in the midst of my current circumstances, you are still good. You are still gracious. You are better than life itself. Blessed be you. You are worthy to be worshipped. Paul looked at all of these spiritual blessings that God had poured out on him, that God had saved him, that God had made him a child of God, that God had rescued him, redeemed him, purchased him, ransomed him, lived the life that he couldn't live, died the death that he should have died, and he responds by worshiping God. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about all the spiritual blessings we needed for our salvation to be secured. Consider all, if you will, for a minute, that needed to be accomplished so that you and I could be saved, so that you and I could be made children of God. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul does. He considers all the spiritual blessings that God did to ensure and secure our salvation. And then Paul 
in that word vomit of a sentence that we're going to read in the next few weeks, expounds on those realities in his life. That's what he does. He worships God, blessed be God, for all the spiritual blessings that he's given us. Look at what he does. We're not going to go into him in depth, but I just want to give you a preview. Verse 4. We needed the spiritual blessing of being chosen before the foundation of the world to be his child. That's blessed. We needed the spiritual blessing of being made holy and blameless. Verse 5 and 6, we needed the spiritual blessing of being adopted so that we were no longer his enemies. We no longer had enmity between us and God, but now we are his children. We, We needed to be made his very children through adoption through Christ our Lord. We needed that. We needed the spiritual blessing of redemption, the forgiveness of our sin that casts us away from God, the blood of Jesus. And to know that it's through Jesus that God is fulfilling his plans for salvation. That's verses 7 through 10. We needed that blessing. We needed the spiritual blessing of the word of truth, the gospel, to be made to to believe. We needed the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We needed all of these things in order to be saved. And what God is telling us through this wonderful book is that in Christ we have all of them. That's wonderful news. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he worships. Spiritual blessings produce in us worship. When we have an eternal perspective and we don't just have our nose to the ground, we don't get bogged down, it produces in us a worship. And it's not always Uh, physical blessings, right? Spiritual blessings, I believe, make God out to be the prize. That's why they're better. Physical blessings, oftentimes when we get them, we make them out to be the prize and we chase them. Spiritual blessings, when we realize them and we understand them and they produce worship in them, make God the ultimate prize. So we chase him. And we pursue him rather than just the stuff. So spiritual blessings are better because they produce in us, church, something that physical blessings never could. They produce in us something a physical blessing never could worship in an eternal perspective. Because worship is what we were created to do. We're worshipers by nature. We're created to worship God. We're created to be fulfilled and satisfied in him and in him alone. And I think uh, this, this reality that we grapple with of maybe seeing what other people have and really kind of wanting that, uh, and maybe chasing some of those things rather than just pursuing God, or maybe even seeing people that don't follow the Lord, and they're like, you, it just seems like they're getting ahead, they're getting all that they want, and there's no stumbling blocks for them, and here I am trying to be pure and blameless and follow the Lord, and it seems like I keep getting tripped up, and I keep falling, and what's going on with that? I think we struggle in that tension, don't we? I don't feel blessed, but these people here seem like they're blessed, but I don't, so how do I reconcile that? The psalmist in Psalm 73 describes this very same reality in a very truthful psalm. I'm going to read a couple of passages to us, and then we're going to be done. Psalm 73 in verse 1, 
as, as he's looking around and he's seeing all these other people's prosperity, when he's struggling, he writes this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps have nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest. Behold, verse 12, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Can't you feel how he's feeling here? He's like, he's like, I've been trying to follow God. I've been trying to keep my way pure. I've been trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to obey and worship you. And yet some suffering has come into his life. And, and he's looking out and he's seeing all these people who, who seemingly just don't give a rip about God. They don't care about living a life of um, service to the Lord. It looks like they're being abundantly physically blessed. And you're tempted to conclude this. I have, must have worshipped and sought God and tried to obey him in vain. That's where he's at. Verse 16. But when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me too wearisome a task until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Truly you set them on slippery places. He's getting a real picture you make them fall into ruin, how they have destroyed, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. He began to have a heavenly, eternal perspective, realizing that physical blessings are just a blip. They're oftentimes just temporary. They're fleeting, and they often end in destruction if we just chase them. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked at the heart. I was brutish. Ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, verse 23, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand, God. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He realized his spiritual blessings were better. He realized that being continually connected with God, that God was holding his right hand, that God was guiding him, that God was leading him, that he was receiving counsel from him was better than all these physical blessings that he was mad about from all these other people. But God, you've got me. I want to remember that. And what happened? And what happened to him? This guy that was embittered, that could have let a root of bitterness take his heart and choke out worship in him by looking around at what everyone else had and he didn't have, he says this, verse 25, one of the most amazing verses in the scriptures, one of my favorites. He says this of God, whom have I in heaven but you? That's worship. It's like Paul saying, blessed, whom have I in heaven but you, God? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Take all the physical I don't need it, God, because I have you. You're better than all of it. There's nothing on earth I desire beside you. And then he goes on to say, my flesh and my heart, they might fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. 
You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell of all your works. This is worship. The psalmist, over, almost overcome with daily anxieties and worry and trouble, sought refuge by going into God's sanctuary, into that place to give him this eternal perspective. And he goes in honestly, and God doesn't strike him down for having an honest dialogue. Instead, God lifts him up to the heavenlies and gives him a worshipful perspective and showed him all the ways he'd been blessed spiritually. This once embittered heart was moved and guided and directed and bent to worship God. Isn't that amazing? And he concludes with this idea that the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is what I desire the most. Not the nearness of wealth, not the nearness of even health, not the nearness of comfort, not the nearness of ease, not the nearness of a spouse or even children, not the nearness of success, not the nearness of the next house that I want or the nearness of the new car that I desire or any other physical blessings, but the nearness of God is my good. Church, do you believe that? That's what Paul is wanting us to get to. This morning, having that perspective, blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and me in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And if you've never known him and you don't know him, man, what better day than today than to believe into that reality? than to trust him with your eternity, than to trust him with your salvation, than to lean into him and say, God, I don't have those. I, I, I long for that. I long for every spiritual blessing to be mine in Christ. And so if that's you and you've never placed your trust in him and he's stirring in your heart and he's moving in your heart to want to desire him, that's something only he can do. So press into him this morning and invite him into those places. Invite him into your life. He doesn't even require anything of you. You just bring him the empty hands of faith and he invades your heart and invades your life and in Christ gives to you every spiritual blessing in heaven is now yours in Christ. And so church, I want us today as we close to realize in our mind, despite what maybe you're walking through right now, that a billion years from now, the struggle and the pain and the hurts that maybe you might be walking through right now will dim. And there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sting because we'll be with him in glory. And we can even look back at the things that seem to be so wounding to us. Um, and the, and the hurt of that will dim a billion years from now as we're with him in glory and we can look back and see all that he was teaching and leading and guiding us through to give us this perspective that we might be able to say and echo this, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you, God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever and ever and ever Let's pray, church. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, it helps reset us. It helps recalibrate us to what is really meaningful and what's really true in this world, God. And Lord, I pray for each of us in here that you would help us believe and know this morning, God, that the spiritual blessings that you give us, that you've given us all of them in Christ are better than physical ones that we so often chase. Lord, give us a taste of heaven. Give us a taste of the realities that we are, that we are wrapped up in, God, because of Jesus. That we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. That we were redeemed and blood-bought and purchased and that you've granted us uh, your wisdom, your guidance, that you've given to us all that we need to thrive in the heavenlies. Give us that perspective, God, so that it becomes all joy as we walk in this life, knowing that you're leading and you're guiding and you're directing. We love you. Be with us in Jesus' name. Stand and worship him.